on at our idea of distractions. Uh, and if you want to flip over to Mark chapter 10, uh, we're going to talk about an, a time when the disciples themselves, the 12 who knew Jesus the best, who maybe quite possibly, at least of their time, knew God the best because they were best friends with Jesus, or at least should have known the will and heart of God the best, got distracted by what they thought by, to use a big term, their own presuppositions about things. And if they, who were literally at the feet of Jesus, got distracted, how much more easily do we get distracted? We're going to keep talking about that this week. Next week, we're going to finish it up. And then the week after that, Lord willing, and the crook don't rise, we'll be back into James, uh, where we haven't been in just about a month now. Um, so read with me, if you will. It's only three or four verses. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. It reads, and they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them laying his hands on them. So let's talk a little bit about what's going on. So first off, the book of Mark is written by Mark, who is not one of the original 12, but who was one of Peter's close associates. And so this story, uh, much as how Matthew wrote everything from his perspective, and Luke, and, and, and then John and such, Mark is written from the perspective of Peter. It contains words like instantly, or immediately, and, and then, Way more than the other Gospels do because Peter was your classic case of an ADHD person. And so he was like, this happened immediately. It might have been two weeks. He's like, it just happened. Well, to him it did. Okay? You can see that when you're telling stories. That's one of the glorious things about the Gospels. It's the same story from four different perspectives. And so you can see what's going on around us. So that's why we see this is the only, I checked in the three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, or yeah, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where, um, this story is told, this is the only one, and I chose this one specifically because it says that Jesus got indignant. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But first off, let me tell you what's going on. He and the disciples, Jesus and the disciples have traveled into Judea. And just as it happened in a lot of places he went, he begins teaching, and they're listening, and the crowds are listening, and then the Pharisees show up and try to trap him. The trap that took place earlier in this chapter is, are we allowed to get divorced? If you remember back months ago, when we were walking through our Constitution, this was the primary passage of Scripture we looked at to say that the Bible is pretty clear. You should not get divorced. There's only a few reasons for divorce. So this is the, this is the trap that the Pharisees try to get him in. Jesus answers it pretty well. They go into a house, and we pick up our story. And the disciples, uh, the people, excuse me, are bringing children probably young children, about the age of the kids you saw come in here earlier, okay? To be blessed by God, by Christ. And the disciples are like, uh-uh, no, no. Number one on your note sheets there, number one on your note sheets there, I know better. I know better. You see, what had happened was the disciples are like, this is for adults. This is adults only. How many of you, by a show of hands, at big dinners, had a kid's table? That's just about everybody. That's what I assumed. 
I raised my hand because, and I was really hoping that my grandma and my dad and stuff put their hand in the air because the kids' table was in the kitchen. I was all right with that. It was the closest to the food. But there would be things at the kids' table and, we, and things at the adult table, and the adult table had their own things that they talked about. And every once in a while, it didn't happen often, but every once in a while, somebody would come into the kitchen and tell us kids to quiet down. Now, here's the thing. If you know us brushes, there's no such thing as quiet down. And somehow they expect kids to do it. And I'm like eight years old, and I'm like, I'm not quieting down. Go outside. It's cold out there. If you want to be loud, go outside. I want to be loud inside. I don't see the problem here. But either way, right, we, and in culture, we have this idea of when the adults are doing their thing, the kids need to be over there. Somebody, preferably a young adult, who has not yet gained the reputation and prestige of the older adults, will watch over the kids' table to ensure that the kids don't get too rowdy. Because kids are disruptive by nature. They're loud. They generally don't understand decorum. I remember, I, I don't remember where I was, but I do remember the first time I sat down at a plate and there was two forks, two spoons, and a knife, and then a coffee cup upside down, and a wine glass, and a water cup. And I'm like, what the heck? I don't need all this stuff over here. I don't drink coffee, and my dad was like, well, make sure the cup is upside down. If you turn it over, then they know to put coffee in it. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to push it to the middle of the table. I need one fork, and depending on what we're eating, one spoon. I don't need the knife, because if something needs to be cut, I have incisors for that. Now, as an adult, I get supremely upset when somebody puts the silverware wrong. There is a way it's supposed to go. You put the fork on the left, the plate, the knife next so that the blade can point into and underneath the plate so you don't cut yourself, and then the spoon. And when I set the table, and the, and the napkin goes underneath the fork. I'm prim and proper when I want to be. I just don't want to be. I did. I graduated from the kids' table and was allowed to play May I. It was great. I suck at it. I still stink at it. It's a card game um, that the brushes play. But either way, right? But that's the thing. Kids are disrupted by nature. They don't understand the social norms. They don't understand that this is how adults should be. They're sick. They're sneezy. There's snot everywhere. When they sneeze, they don't cover their face. There's all kinds of stuff. They're loud, and they always have some form of chocolate that they've held in their hand for the past two hours with a grip of death that they want to give you. <laughs> and by golly, if you don't eat that chocolate right then, you're going to break their heart for the next 20 years. And you're going, I don't know where that hand has been. God, protect me. And you down that M&M or Hershey's Kiss. But here's the thing, right? So the disciples think they know better. We've got adult things going on. Jesus is talking about adult things with the adults. Get these kids out of here. They're distracted by what they think they know, by what culture says, by what social norms say. Jesus doesn't get distracted by that. In fact, Jesus doesn't care about that at all. Jesus is there to do a job. I mentioned that kids are, dis are, are, are disruptive. And mom and I have been working on an idea for the past couple of weeks, month or two, that we brought to the board, and the board said, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do it. This year, Lord willing, we're going to have three Sundays spaced throughout the year. Nope, excuse me, four I think it is. Either way, a number of Sundays spaced throughout the year that we are calling 
family Sundays. And there will be anywhere from two to 15 kids in here with us being disruptive, having a grand old time. We're going to sing songs that they know. The sermon, I'll still be preaching, but it's going to be the, their story that they would hear over there. We'll just, we'll adult it up just a little bit, but we're going to have fun. You might, you might just have to do motions to a TV screen, and you better do them because all those kids will be watching. Sorry, none of you are above mountain high and valley low. Not, not a single person here is above that. That's one of the songs they do, am I correct? Yep, see? And the point of that thing is it's a couple of reasons. Number one, the church is the church. We often like to say kids are the future members of the church. Hogwash bullcrap, they are not. They are the present. They are the future leaders of the church, yes, but they are the present of the church just as much as you and I are. The youngest to the oldest are all part of the church, and we want to make it the case. So we're compromising. You guys will have to make a little fool of yourselves, put your pride away, and talk about the mountain high and valleys low, and they'll come in here and have to sing a hymn, and I guarantee you they're going to go, oh, fly away, unless you guys are the ones singing and being joyous about it. They're going to take their cues from you and me. The second reason is we expect a kid when they turn roughly 12 to come in, sit in the service, and act like they know what's going on. Show me the four-year-old that knows the doxology, that knows they're supposed to be quiet during certain times. Stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, all that fun stuff. They don't have to ask to go to the bathroom. They can just get up and leave. So we're going to teach them. Slowly yet surely, we're going to teach them. This is what big kids, I refer to this as big kids church, just so you know. If you ever hear me go, little kids church and big kids church, we're big kids church. Okay? And we're going to teach them. Hey, this is why we sing the doxology. Hey, these are some of the songs that we do along with the songs that you do. Hey, this is what we do in here so that when they're 12, 13 years old and they walk into this sanctuary, they don't feel out of place. They are part of us. But here's the big thing about this. You and I cannot be the disciples. If we are, it will fail and you will lose almost every single one of those kids. The moment they turn 12, 13 years old, they will not set foot in these doors again because they won't feel like they belong with us. It is up to everybody in this room, including me, to show them we're not old fuddy-duddies. Maybe we are. I, in order to prove I'm not an old fuddy-duddy, I wore my Ghostbuster socks today. Going to be honest, I wasn't sure I was going to be able to get up there. <laughs> I didn't stretch before that. And I'm wearing somewhat skinny jeans. There was a protest. But either way, it's going to be up to us to have fun with them. Church should be fun. I'm not saying that we don't handle difficult topics and stuff like that, but it should be fun. Yes, there's going to be some disruptions. Some kid's going to go, Aff! Some kid, I still remember, um, uh, all I can think of is Jaden, and I know that Jameson. My best friend's son is Jaden, and I, I, Jameson, a couple of months ago, was talking about how he's out of fruit snacks. That poor kid, I'd be upset too. I am upset. I don't have fruit snacks with me right now. Yes, they're going to talk. Yes, some kid's going to ask questions. Great. I tell you what, you will disappoint me, 
And most importantly, you will disappoint God if anybody goes like this to a kid. No. No, 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 no. Our job is to bring them in and be part of this. Mom's handling it on her end to ensure the kids are ready to go because they'll be out of their element just as much as we are. And you know what? We're adults. We should be able to handle it better than they do. We can't be like the disciples who got distracted. That yes, this is Big Kids Church and we sing our songs and we give our offering. And yeah, we laugh at some things, but, but this is prim and proper for the most part. We do, we've, got our, we've got our standard that we follow. And it better not be interrupted. We're Baptists. We sit in our same pew every week. Here's the thing. Number two on your note sheets there. Number two. You know better. And capitalize that why. Because we're talking about God. You know better. An indignant Jesus, the definition of indignant, expressing strong displeasure at something unjust, offending, or insulting. Jesus is expressing strong displeasure at this injustice that the disciples would dare stop kids from coming to him. We don't see in scripture where Jesus gets really upset in very many places. Most of the time, he's calm, cool, collected. This was not one of those times. He's indignant. He's ticked. How dare these men he has been pouring into stop these kids from coming to him? And he slaps them in the face and goes, here's the thing. It takes faith like a child to get to heaven. Faith that is pure, it is undefiled, it's believing. It takes that sort of faith to get to heaven. He didn't come out and say it, but what he is saying is, you, disciples, don't have it yet. You, you've missed the mark. You've missed the point of everything I've been saying. Throughout the cultures, throughout the millennia, kids have always been viewed as less than adults. I am not trying to pretend and say that kids should know everything. They shouldn't. I'm not saying there aren't certain adult things that kids shouldn't be privy to. I, there are. What I am saying is, kids know and see way more than you do. If you don't believe me, go hang out in children's church for a little bit. They ask questions you wouldn't dare ask. Kids understand and see way more than you think. Listen to their prayer requests. You'll get 10, I got a boo-boo when I fell and punched my sister accidentally. But for every 10 of those you get, yeah, my dad hit my mom last night, can you pray about that? You think kids don't see and understand, they do. And here's the thing, they see and understand how you think about them. They see and understand exactly what your facial expressions, your body expressions, even what your words might not be saying, they understand. There's a reason that kids gravitate towards certain people and not to others. Because they can sense and feel in their spirit the love people have for them or not. One of the worst things you can say to a kid when they're asking a spiritual question, and I'm not saying when a five-year-old comes up and asks you about sex, you should give them the whole sex talk then. I am saying when a five-year-old comes up to you and asks you about angels, answer them as best you can. Don't give them, oh, everybody becomes an angel when they die. Hogwash, they don't. No human has ever become an angel. No human ever will. Angels were specifically created by God to do specific tasks. They're messengers. They're incredible beings. Or when they come up to you and ask you, why do bad things happen? Answer them. 
I'm not saying you need to go into, you shouldn't go into this long 45-minute theological uh, treatise on sin and the effects it had in the world. No. But they're smart enough to understand. Answer them truthfully. Because here's the other thing. You and I can lie to each other and we don't even realize it. Go ahead and try to lie to a kid. You think you fooled them. You haven't. You think you fooled them. You haven't. Jesus understood. And Jesus loved kids. They were his world. Don't prevent the children from coming to me. I want to bless them. I want to lay hands on them. They, it is their faith that gets to heaven. Faith like the child, I should say, that gets to heaven. So let me ask you this this morning. You're all getting up there in age. You've all seen, let me rephrase that. You've all seen a lot of life. You've gained a lot of wisdom. How does that sound? When was the last time you took something God said at face value and just believed it? You see, for all your wisdom, you're an idiot. For all of that wisdom you've gained through all of your years of learning, you don't have faith like a child anymore. And I'm not blaming you. Neither did they. Neither do I. I'm not, you guys, no, it's just the fact of the matter. Yes, kids, well, I was going to say kids aren't necessarily smarter than us. That's not true. They are because they're more curious. So they ask questions and they try to find out things. The disciples were distracted by what they thought, by their presuppositions of the world. Jesus is not, and he's telling you not to be. So I don't have an apply it to yourself today. I have a ask yourself today. I want you over the coming days to ask yourself and do these two things. Number one, where is your cynicism and put it away? Where are you cynical about something? Where is your belief tarnished and frayed and perhaps gone complete? Maddie and I were down uh, in Scranton yesterday at a YFC volunteer uh, training event thing, and I went to a class that was about uh, trauma and such. Um, and in that class, they, they gave us this, this not statistic, um, actually it was in the main session. The current generation, Gen Zs as they are called, and I don't believe anybody in this room is a Gen Z, but everybody in that room, I believe, is a Gen Z. Besides mom and Nathan. Is there another generation after that? Are they Gen X? Hi, Gen Z. I've been told a billion times what I am, and I go, I'm just an old man. I'm just an old man. That's what I am. But either way, anything under millennial has this outlook on the world. They are positively pessimistic. They believe good things will happen for themselves, but they will never see the world but they believe they will never see the world to be anything good again. That's the generation we're dealing with. That's the generation that, quite frankly, we turned away. Didn't answer their questions. Lied to them. Told them, when you're older, you got to go sit at the kids' table. We under, we, we're, 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 we're wiser, we're smarter. Go sit at the kids' table. And now their outlook on the world is that it will never be good again. Quite frankly, they're right. It won't be. The Bible's pretty clear it's going to keep getting worse until the rapture. And then it'll get worse after that until the uh, uh, millennial reign of Christ. So they're right. But the key is that they're hopeless. That's what the disciples were trying to do. Create a hopeless generation. We're listening to Adventures in Odyssey now? I'm in. That's okay. 
<laughs> Bring me back to my childhood. Actually, yesterday. No. Um, but here's the thing. Where does your cynicism lie? Because it wears off on the kids around you. If you come in to these doors on a Sunday morning and you don't have the joy of the Lord in your heart, I'm not saying everything's going well. I'm saying you don't have the joy of the Lord in your heart and it exudes out of you, they won't, they don't like you. And it'll rub off. If I may, they're not here, so I'm going to brag about them. Alvin and Linda walked through those doors every Sunday with the joy of the Lord evident. And the kids love them. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is evident in them. They can feel it. It's just there. So where is your cynicism? I've got mine, my own. Where is yours? Get rid of it. Secondly, ask yourself, where do you know better than God? Where do you know better than God? I worded that very specifically. I could have said, where do you think you know better than God? No. Because sadly, you and I don't think we know better than God. We go, I know better than God. One word changes the entirety of that sentence. Where, in your opinion, do you know better than God? First off, you don't. And you've got to convince yourself of that. But where you believe that you do, you'll find your cynicism. You'll find your issues in life. I know better than God in my marriage. I know better than God in my work. I know better than God in my church. I know better than God in my family. I know better than God for my kids, for my grandkids. I know better than God. God doesn't understand culture. He doesn't get where we're at in the world today. I know better. I live here. Ask yourself, where do you know better than God? He'll reveal it to you. He's really good at it. He enjoys doing it. Yeah, let me show you where you know better than me. Do your best not to become, uh, not to have to have the conversation that Job had with God, where God gets sarcastic and just starts slapping Job across the face. Go read Job 38 through 40 and tell me God's not sarcastic. Of course he is. That's why I'm sarcastic. I'm trying to become more Christ-like. Where do you know better than God? You'll find your cynicism. Put it away. Return to having faith like a child. Do what it takes to get there. I'm working my way there. Let's work there together. Slowly yet surely, we'll get there. And the next time a kid, a grandkid, one of our kids down the hallway, whatever, comes up to you and asks you a question, answer it. You don't have to tell them everything. Answer it. I still remember, Maddie and I like, well, I like Chinese food. Jax likes Chinese food. Maddie tolerates Chinese food. So every once in a while, we go down to Scranton, pick up Jax, and go to the Chinese buffet. And on our way there, Jax started asking me all kinds of questions, as a five, six-year-old does in the car. I didn't know the answers to half of them. Why does that sign light up? Electricity. Why isn't that one lit up? Don't have electricity to it. He asks questions. What are the clouds made of? You know what I didn't say? Cotton candy. It's water, buddy. That's collected dirt. Huh. And it falls. That's where the rain comes from, the clouds. Oh. How does water get made? That was a question. So I told him, hydrogen and oxygen combine. And it creates water. And he goes, okay. He doesn't know what hydrogen and oxygen is. He doesn't care. I didn't lie to him. So he asks me questions now. 
because he knows I won't lie to him. Have the heart of a child when you're answering questions. And maybe, just maybe, have the heart of a child and start asking some. Would you pray with me? Father, I do ask that you help us not to get distracted by this world around us like the disciples were, by their presuppositions of what correct things were. Children belong over there. This is the adult time. Father, help us to realize that, yes, while kids don't necessarily have all the information that we do, all of the facts that we do, it is faith like a child that is required to go to heaven. That blind, believing, pure faith that just goes, this is what it is, and I'm tr- I have faith in it. Father, show us where our cynicism is, where we are cynical, and help us to, to work in those areas, to, to, to strengthen our faith in those areas, so that we don't think we know better than you. So that we can honestly say, you know better than I in every situation, every area of my life. And I'm not going to be distracted by what I think, by what I feel, but what I, by what I have been through, by what culture says. I will only keep my eyes focused on you. Father, it's in the name of your son that we pray. Amen and amen.